Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Expect Jesus. Expect Jesus in. We're going to talk about another topic this morning where we can expect Jesus. Last week we talked about the need to expect Jesus in our shame. And, and I hope that I really was able, by the grace of God, to push that through into your hearts. Because what I've seen so often is that Christians get trapped in shame. And, and Jesus is the taker of shame. But when we fall and when we fail or when someone hurts us and sins against us and makes us feel ashamed or dirty or whatever it might be, so often instead of running back to Jesus, we distance ourselves because we are consumed by our shame. And shame will push you down. It will bear down on you. It will break you. Guilt is different than shame. I want to make a clarification. Guilt is good. Okay? I know you're all like, guilt is good? Yes, guilt is good because guilt is your conscience or the Holy Spirit convicting you, teaching you that, hey, what you did was wrong. And the, and the object of guilt is correction. Lord, I've, I've failed. I did this wrong. I, I see this. I, I agree with you and your word. And you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So guilt is good, but shame is that thing that will pull you away from Christ. And it's kind of natural, right? It's, I don't want to talk to Jesus about this. And it separates you. And so when we say expect Jesus in our shame, I, I want you to understand that when you fail, when you fall, when someone has sinned against you and you're feeling shame and you're feeling dirty, listen, those are the times to run to Jesus. Okay? Don't walk. Run. Because no matter what your mind is telling you and no matter what evil forces and evil spirits are telling you, like don't do it, stay away, whatever it is, that is wrong thinking. If you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, what a loser, what's wrong with you? And you're just berating yourself viciously. That is not of God. God is not expecting us to berate ourselves and to tear ourselves down like that. He's expecting us to take that sin and bring it to Jesus and come in alignment with God so that we could be restored in fellowship. And the enemy and our minds sometimes whisper to us that God wants nothing to do with us anymore because we blew it. It couldn't be further from the truth. He wants you. He wants to draw you in. He wants to forgive you. And he doesn't want to stop there. He wants to cleanse you. That's the second part of 1.9, right? John 1.9, 1 John 1.9. He wants to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So he takes the shame. The way we started the series was expect Jesus in the ordinary. And we're talking about just living our mundane, everyday lives, going to work, 
eating dinner at home, watching TV with the family, playing games, just the ordinary day-to-day life. We need to learn to get up in the morning and say, good morning, Jesus. Help me to see you today. Help me to see you today. Help me to walk with you today. It's so vitally important. Too many times we get up, we go about our day, we say a quick prayer, and maybe we even read a couple verses of Scripture, but we're not actually getting up and walking with Jesus. We might be following an idea or an ideal. We might be trying to keep ourselves from sin, but that's not the same as following the person of Jesus Christ in your life. His spiritual influence, His person walking with you. We're going to get into that in a little more detail um, this morning. Let me see here. Make sure I'm in the right sermon because you know what happens to me sometimes. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you have them, if you have your Bible app, please turn there. I'll give you a second. And I'm a huge proponent, guys, of taking notes of underlining Scripture as it touches your heart to remind yourself when you're going back through it that God spoke to you. Now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to a city called Galilee, in Galilee, Galilee named Nazareth. What is wrong with my notes? This is weird. How does this work? Something is fishy here. love technology until I don't. Seriously? All right. An angel named Gabriel shows up to Nazareth uh, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, and I I put it in bold there, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I know not a man, right? And the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you and therefore also that Holy One who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and is now in the sixth month for who who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Expect Jesus. There's some things that, as we're going through this, we we see very clearly as she begins to have a conversation with this angel. 
First of all, we see that she was troubled. He, she was troubled. I would say that she was afraid because the perception of the angel was that she was afraid. He said, hey, don't be afraid. Now, now we know that's, could you imagine this for a minute? Walk back in history with me. 2,000 years ago, nation of Israel, most girls were betrothed by the time they were 13, 15 years old. That doesn't mean they were married and having marital relations, but they were in contract to be married to a man at 13 or 15 years old. So here's this 13-year-old girl sleeping safe and snug in her bed, and all of a sudden this bright light wakes her up. You imagine that she might be a, a little troubled? Where's my 13-year-old girls here today? Anybody 13, 14, you're 13? I'm not. Listen, don't lie in church. <laughs> Just kidding with you. Well, not really. But 14, 15, come on, where are they? You're 13, 14, or 15 years old. I see you hiding back there. Could you imagine your room lighting up and there's this strange man dressed really oddly standing at the foot of your bed and he says, hey, I imagine she was troubled. Like, whoa, how did you get in here? And he said to her, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And this is the, this is the title of the sermon this morning. Expect Jesus, expect Jesus in your fear. Expect Jesus in your fear. How many of you have been unjustifiably afraid today? All right, come on. Everybody's just like, I am Viking. <laughs> I know no fear. Fear fears me. Probably not the case. How many of you have been afraid, and it's a reasonable fear, it's a reasonable fear, but it locks you, and you can't move, and you can't continue, and all you, you're consumed by that fear. Anybody like that? Yeah, that's a little better. It's a little better, because like, it's reasonable, Pastor. Yeah, okay. We're going to get that. We're going to get there. So the angel comes to Mary, and he says to her, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, do you think Mary's fear was reasonable? I think so. And he tells her, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, well, wait a second. As any teenager would, she talks back and she's like, I'm still a virgin. This isn't going to happen. By now, my parents taught me the birds and the bees, and I know that you need a man to have a baby. If you're here and you don't know that yet, I'm sorry, parents. You're going to have to explain that to them when you all get home. If they're in here and not in e-kids and you haven't explained it to them, somebody else already has. So you might want to take the reins and teach them the right and wrong of it. I'm just saying. So she's like, I don't know a man. How can this happen? She's confused. She's troubled. She's afraid because she's 13, 14, 15 years old. And she's like, dude, what am I going to tell my parents? And then what am I going to tell Joseph? It's a troubling thing. I would say that, that she was reasonably troubled, wouldn't you? And yet into this trouble, the angel says, don't be afraid. And listen, it hasn't changed to this day. When we're confronted with fear, reasonable fear or unreasonable fear, 
we have a God that says, do not be afraid. Now, fear is a gift from God, but it's not a gift when it controls you and, and compresses you and holds you still so you can't move and you can't breathe and you can't function. And it drives you to do foolish things. We did a series called Emotion Commotion. You should check it out. It's on YouTube. And it talks about how to deal with our emotions in a godly way. And, and one of the most important things to deal with your emotions is to compare them to God and the Word of God and say, is this emotion in line with the situation that I'm in, and is it in agreement with God? Because your emotions, as much as they are a gift of God, like everything else on this earth, have been perverted. And your emotions, at times, can lie to you. Now, I'm going to say her emotions weren't lying to her. She had a reason to be afraid. She had a reason to be afraid. And into this, into this chaos, the angel says, you have Listen, you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. So one of the reasons that, that we, are, we are told don't be afraid is because we have found favor with God. Some of you are here this morning, and, and I wonder if you found that favor. Because favor is another word for grace. And grace is where salvation is birthed in our hearts so if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you've come to that time in your life where, where you've recognized that you're a sinner by birth and a sinner by choice, and you realize that God in the flesh is Jesus, that he came down from the halls of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh in the womb of Mary, was born, lived 33 years, and then he went to the cross and he died for your sins and mine, past, present, future, Right? And then he rose from the grave. If you have had a time in your life where that has happened to you, where you have experienced that, listen, the angel could say the very same thing to you. Blessed are you, for you are highly favored. You have been given the gift of grace. The person of God has come into your life, and the Holy Spirit has come within you and dwells inside of you. You've been favored. So when we talk about fear and expecting Jesus in our fear and reasons not to, not to be afraid, listen, it's because the Spirit of God is within us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And when you go through the hardest time in your life and you have reason to fear, you also have reason to walk through it with confidence and comfort because the Spirit is experiencing it with you. And He's walking with you. So number one, when we're talking about fear, we have to understand that God is with us. God is with us. That we are favored of God. If you haven't come to Jesus, you must come to him today because he is offering you the greatest Christmas present the world has ever seen. He's offering you the gift of Jesus, the gift of salvation for your eternal soul, the gift of forgiveness for all of your sins. Listen, the gift of eternal life and a relationship with God and the gift of his presence, and he's offering you that this morning. Why would you walk away? Why would you walk away from the creator of the universe humbling himself to become a man so that he could redeem you? He wants you. What will you do? Will you accept the gift? Or will you walk away without favor? And let me tell you, if you walk away without favor, you have reason to fear. And this message will mean nothing to you. Because without the presence of God in your life, you have a lot of reasons to fear. Among them, your eternity and where you'll spend it. You've got to trust Jesus, folks. You've got to trust Jesus. 
Well, the second thing is the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary and he's going to accomplish within Mary everything that he needs to accomplish. And the same is true, the same is true for all of those who have come to Jesus for salvation. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us and when he indwells us, he enables us, just as with Mary, to accomplish everything God has called us to do. Everything. Whether you're called to give extraordinarily, whether you're called to love someone that nobody else loves, whether you're called to preach. It took me 10 years to answer the call to the gospel ministry. 10 years to recognize Jesus in my fear. But he continued to work with me. And when I finally said yes to Jesus, the amazing thing is, the Holy Spirit just came in and enabled me to do this. And I love doing this. I love pastor not just standing on the, in the, on the pulpit and preaching, but also ministering to people one-on-one and caring for people. Folks, when God calls you to something, that calling is a promise, and it's a promise that he will enable you to do it. Just like with Mary. Listen, with Mary, she couldn't, could she get herself pregnant without a guy? They didn't have that technology back then. So it was impossible. It was impossible. And her cousin, who was much older than her, Elizabeth, was barren. And here, listen, her, her son is not the son of God. He says it himself, John. But he's a miracle baby because... Her and her husband had tried to conceive for years and years, and she was barren. And God decided, you know what? I have a purpose for this family. And he provided a miracle for her. In her old age, when she was barren, she conceived John. Her and her husband conceived John, and John was a prophet of the Lord going before Jesus and preparing the way. So the Holy Spirit worked in their lives to enable them to do what they couldn't do. It's impossible. So there was a reason for fear, but we're reminded that nothing is impossible with God. Now, a few weeks ago, I preached a series, Raise Your Ebenezer. These are the moments that you want to raise your Ebenezer. These are the moments where you want to have a memorial in your life to remind you of when God did the impossible. These are the moments where where you see the Holy Spirit working, God working in your life, and you want to establish a song, a poem, a painting, a little statue, something to remind you that God is faithful, that God is faithful. So we move on, and how should we respond to fear? And we see it through Mary. So here's Mary. She's troubled. She's afraid. She's 13 or 14 or 15 years old. And yet, there's a reason why she's honored among women. I think sometimes those that are not Catholic, because we push back against the false doctrine of Mariology and co-redemptrix, and we, we push back against what they've done with Mary, where they've made her equal to Christ, and she's not, and she's still... Listen, Mary didn't die a virgin. Her and Joseph got together, and they had kids. And Jesus had half-brothers, and I've explained this before, but the book of James and Judah written by two of Jesus' half-brothers, okay? But Mary, right, she was honored among women. She was special. 
She was special. And one of the things that makes her special is her response to the angel and how we should learn to respond to fear in our lives. She said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. And so essentially what she's saying is, Whatever you choose for me to walk through, I will go. Mary was going to be pregnant outside of wedlock. Listen, I know today it's almost a done deal that you'll get pregnant before you're married. It's a shame. It's, a, it's, it's not the way God intended it. But back then, she was a pariah. We learned that Joseph was going to put her away and before the angel came to Joseph. And he was going to put her away to try to hide her shame. He was going to put her away so that she didn't suffer to the nth degree. But here's Mary knowing that she's going to be pregnant, knowing she's going to carry this child, knowing that people are going to assume that she had sinned egregiously, knowing the rumors that, listen, knowing the rumors that were going to flow. And yet she said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to walk through, I will go. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was told ahead of time of all the suffering he would experience in order to complete the mission Jesus had given him. When you think about Paul and you think he wrote most of the New Testament, which is true, and you think, wow, what a guy. It should elevate your respect for Paul to realize that before he said yes, he was informed that his call included suffering, like horrific suffering. And yet Paul, like Mary, looked that suffering in the face and said, whatever you say, I will do. Because God is God, and we are men, and he's not our genie, and he's not Santa Claus. He's God, and we are beholden to him, not the other way around. So if it's suffering, I'll suffer. If it's missions, I'll go. If it's pastoring, I'll pastor. If it's witnessing, I'll witness. Whatever it is that God says, go. Our response when we begin to understand the person of God in our lives, to expect Jesus in our fear, is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I hope that you're, you're experiencing that. Whatever it is, if it's his will, we say yes. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I love this passage of Scripture. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. There's the prophet of God, and he's ticked off a king. Prophets of God have a way of angering those in authority when they're abusing their authority. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city where the prophet was. Okay? And when the servant of the man of God, he had a guy working for him, got up early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servant said to him, Alas, master, what will we do? Now let me ask you a question. What do you think the servant was feeling at that moment? A little fear, just a little fear. 
Because he's thinking the prophet ticked off the king and I'm with the prophet. So the king is not going to distinguish between the two of us. He's just going to kill both of us. And the king didn't just send a couple of people. Hey, go get the prophet. Tell him we're going to have a meeting. No, he sent his army enough to surround the city. So the servant is freaking out. I could see him running back into the house saying, Dude, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Starts packing his clothes up. We got to get away. We got to get away. And then he answered, do not fear. Do not fear. He's got reason to fear. Would you agree? And yet the prophet says, hey, chill. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, this servant, he's like, what? It's just the two, just the two of us. We can make it if we try. It's just the two of us. What are you talking about? I mean, I know you're a prophet and you've done miracles and stuff, but dude, this is a whole army. And Elisha, the prophet of the Lord, he said, Lord, I pray, and this is why I asked the angel to lead this song this morning, that you would open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And what did he see? The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. His spiritual eyes were open so that he could see God's angels surrounding them. What does that do for you, do you think? Do you think now that that servant might run out there and go, let's go, man. Bring it on. Bring it on. He sees something that the, the enemy didn't see, right? He sees something that nobody else in the city sees, and his confidence changes. We need to learn to expect Jesus in our fear. We need to learn to have the eyes of our hearts open. We often fear, we often fear because we, we cannot see what's truly around us. As children of God, if you've trusted Christ again as your Savior, you're favored, but you're also always accompanied, certainly by the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And the Bible says that the angels are around those who are his children. So you have angels with you all the time. Now, if you could see him, you might react to some of the things in your life a little differently, don't you think? Hard times, trouble, trial, enemies, you name it. You might react a little differently. God says, vengeance is mine, say it the Lord. Listen, he's got you. You don't have to run out and hammer the enemy. God has you surrounded. God has you surrounded. So here's this servant freaking out, not able to see what's truly around him. And then the prophet says, Lord, open his eyes. Open the eyes of his heart. Open his spiritual eyes that he could see. And when he had his, open, his eyes open, his perspective and his perception changed. When you're in fear's grip, one of the most important things you need to do is shift your perspective and shift your perception 
so that you can recognize that the Spirit of the Lord is in you and the angels surround you. And although you may have to go through hell, He is not going to let you go through it alone. Expect Jesus in your fear. He could see with spiritual eyes the preparation and protection of the Lord. And he was now confident and calm as he should be. He learned to trust in the goodness of God. Now I want to share a story. I want to share a story. This is a, a, I know this person. I trust him. And uh, here's his experience of seeing with spiritual eyes. So walk with me. He was clearly depressed and afraid, this person. And, and, there, and there came this one night where he was really struggling. He had blown it. Anybody else blow it? I mean, sure, he's not alone. I know I have. His family was away from home. And he stumbled into a bedroom and threw himself across the bed. And in his mind, he just kept thinking, just kill yourself. Just kill yourself. Just kill yourself. Just do it. Get over it. Get it over with. The world's going to be better off without you. Nobody's home. Just do it. And it was this incessant pounding. Just kill yourself. Just kill yourself. And it was relentless. It was relentless. And so as he lay there, and he's almost squirming and discomfort, something shifts and he just gets up and says, I'm going to bed. I'll figure this out tomorrow. And he goes to bed. Years later, he was thinking on this situation. And he asked the Lord to open the eyes of his heart that he might see with spiritual eyes where Jesus was that long and lonely night. Because that night had haunted him. I man, I, would it haunt you? I would imagine. That night had haunted him and stuck with him. And he said, Lord, where were you? Can you show me? And he saw in his mind's eye, he was sort of back in that room. It was dark and he was laying across the bed. And there were those voices just hammering him. And he looks around the room and he realizes that in that moment, the room was filled with demons, evil spirits. And it was their voice mimicking his that was saying, kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself. He said, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? You said you would be with me. And then he saw two angels kind of hovering over him. And their wings are around him. And they're protecting him from the worst of it. Lord, where are you? Where are you? And he sees the angels and he realizes, oh, I wasn't alone that night. And then he looks up and then Jesus walks into the room. And the room dispels the darkness. Jesus dispels the darkness in the room. The demons flee. And he gets up as Jesus reaches his hand for him and says, come with me. And he gets up and he says, I'll figure this out tomorrow. And all this time, he thought he had just figured it out tomorrow when it was Jesus that walked in the room and it was the angels that were protecting him and dro drove the evil spirits away from him. 
saw with spiritual eyes what was going on. I, I believe his account was absolutely truthful and accurate as far as he believed it, as far as he knew it. I have no reason to suspect that he was sensationalizing anything. And I personally believe in angels. You've heard my story about how I had my skull fracture and the angel came down the, the hill and, and I was healed in three days instead of six weeks and God was just present in that distress when I was four years old. And, and, and I believe in angels. And I also believe in demons, fallen angels, spiritual beings who are not our friends. People that like to play with Ouija boards and all that kind of stuff, tarot cards. You're, you're just you're playing with fire. Good luck. You're inviting in something that should not have an invitation. Here is this guy thrown across the bed battling demons and just hearing over and 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 over again. Take yourself out of my way. Kill yourself so I can wreak havoc in your absence. The enemy's not just content to take you out. He wants to fill that void and destroy everybody that you had to do with. So when we begin to expect Jesus, we begin to look with spiritual eyes. And you can do this yourself. You can look at maybe some of your past troubles and trials and say, okay, where were you, Jesus? And would you open my eyes? And then you can lay over that new, fuller memory and pray that God would implant it deeply. And then the next time you think of that troubling time, you will see Jesus there with you. Open my spiritual eyes, Lord. Open my spiritual eyes. Help me to see. Help me to see. And just like with Elisha's servant, this man had his eyes opened and his fear diminished as he saw the angels in the presence of Jesus walking into that room and saw the impact that Jesus has on evil spirits. And you might say, is, is this scriptural? Well, when Jesus confronted lesion in, the, in, in this man that was possessed who was running in the cemeteries and Jesus accounted him, uh, uh, confronted him, what happened to that demon or those demons? They begged him, oh, just put us in the pigs, man. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. So we go on. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Let's take another look at a, a time when, when people were in distress and fear. Now he got into a boat and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves. And he was asleep. Jesus is sleeping. And this is the Sea of Galilee. And flash storms come up on this sea regularly. It's, it's just the way it's surrounded by the mountains and the heat and the cold. It, it's, it's a tempestuous sea. It's not unusual. So here's Jesus chilling, sleeping. His disciples came to him, woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're perishing. The waves are coming over the boat and that didn't wake you up you think jesus is afraid is he afraid of some waves and some storms no of course not and so he said to him oh, why are you so fearful oh you have little faith he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm have you seen a calm sea before a calm river it's kind of surreal. Nate and I was driving, I was driving Nate to school, or he was driving me 
to school because he's getting his license soon. And we looked at the Merrimack River, and it was like a sheet of glass. It was so calm. So here is the storm crashing over this boat. And if you guys have ever seen a first century fishing boat, it's not all that great to begin with. And so they had reason to fear. They had reason to fear. But they needed a change in perspective. They needed to recognize that, dude, Jesus is in the boat. And if Jesus is in the boat, I have no real reason to fear because Jesus is with me. And so the men marveled and saying, said, who, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Well, he's the creator of the universe. He created the winds. He created the sea, and they're subject to his control. So our perspective needs to shift. As we saw with Mary, it's what you perceive that will help you through these moments of fear. And these men, though they had seen Jesus heal a leper, they had seen Jesus heal a tormented and paralyzed man from a distance. They had seen Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law. They were still afraid for their lives. And our perspective needs to shift. Our perspective needs to shift. Last week, I showed you a Picasso. Here's another one. And, and part of this series is to try to correct your perspective and your perception of Jesus, of God. So my question for you this morning is, what are you seeing? In those moments where fear grips your heart, when, when the wheels are falling off, all, all hell is breaking loose, what are you seeing? What are you focused on? These disciples were in the boat, and they were focused on the waves, were they not? They were focused on the storm. And then their perspective and their perception shifted so that they looked at Jesus like, oh yeah, duh, Jesus is in the boat. Let's wake him up. Maybe he can do something. They had the power of the God of the universe in the boat with them. But until they looked to Jesus... They were powerless. They were caught in terror and fear. But when they looked to Jesus and he rose, their fears were abated. Their fears were abated. They weren't seeing Jesus in the beginning. They forgot so quickly what they had seen. And they were caught up in their fear. And they were caught up in the storm. And they were caught up in their suffering. And, and they had forgotten initially that this man who raised the dead was with them. Mary understood. This is why I say Mary is special. Blessed art thou among women. Why was Mary special? There wasn't a whole lot of pause. There was, how can I have a baby since I've known not a man? And then it was, okay. I am yours. Whatever you want. That's why Mary's special. Didn't take her long to say yes to Jesus. She just said yes. She had a mountain of faith. In a mountain of faith. Sickness, shame, health, wealth, pain, failure. You are with me and I am yours. Whom or what should I fear? What are you looking at? What are you seeing? Are you seeing a Picasso Jesus? Are you seeing a Jesus that just looks at you and says, Oh, oh, shame on you. Oh, you did it again. Oh. Belittling you. He might say, Oh, you have little faith. But he's not that voice of shame belittling you and demeaning you and degrading you. That's not God's voice. He might say, 
have you been with me this long and you're still not getting it? He might say something like that, a little, come on, guys. We've been through this before. Don't you remember? Maybe you need to raise an Ebenezer. Whom should I fear? Are you looking at a Picasso Jesus or are you looking at the authentic Jesus found in the Scriptures? The one that said, let the little children come unto me. Always drives me crazy when I was, when I was in a pastor's fellowship, I, a different one that I'm with now, and, and they would look at children as inconvenient. They would look at children as obnoxious. Don't you dare run in church. Don't you dare disrespect the house of God. Now, I'm not saying there's not an appropriate time for discipline. Like, don't let your kids on this platform, please. Mostly because those instruments don't belong to the church. They belong to the people that play them. So I'm not saying don't discipline your children and don't let them trip older people. And, but I am saying you need to cultivate a come-to-Jesus heart in your kids. And we as a church have been working hard on that for the last 12 years. Working hard on that. That's why we have the hall dedicated to the children of this church. So they can go up into the hall and they can run around and they can play and they can throw the football and they can break holes in the walls. And they do. And teenagers especially do. I'm not going to say my son tried the trick that I tried when I was little and put a poster over the hole. Um, <laughs> that would never happen. We would never try that with my parents. What Jesus are you seeing? Are you seeing the one that says, let the little children come to me? Are you seeing the one that, that takes the woman uh, taken in adultery, like last week, and says, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you, now go and sin no more. Do you see the Jesus walking out of the tomb and walking through the garden who, who is seen by Mary and she approaches him and she says, have you seen the body of Jesus? And he said, Mary. And when he said her name, her eyes were opened and she could see Jesus. Have you seen that Jesus? Have you seen the Jesus that allowed the woman who was full of sin to, to wash his feet? to touch him, his holy body, to touch him. Where the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious people of the day, the holier than thou's, the self-righteous ones, were, I can't believe he's letting her touch his feet. Oh, that's disgusting. What Jesus are you seeing? You see a Jesus on the cross where he turns his head and he's in unbelievable pain unimaginable pain. The flesh has been ripped from his back, bone is exposed, and he's now hanging on the cross after this horrific beating. People are shaming him from the ground, and this thief who was previously giving him all sorts of trouble, and finally the thief has his eyes open, and he sees, wait a second, this guy is different. He says, Lord, remember me when you get to your kingdom, and then Jesus looks at him and says, you will be with me today in my kingdom. The thief that couldn't do anything but look at Jesus and say, I've blown it, Lord, remember me. What Jesus are you seeing? Are you seeing a caricature of Jesus? 
Are you seeing a Jesus of the New Testament, the authentic Jesus? You're like, but Jesus wasn't always nice. No, he, he was pretty brutal with self-righteous people. He was brutal with religious people. He was brutal with people that were condemning others. He called them vipers, snakes in the grass. But those that were hurting and broken and needed him, come unto me. Come unto him, come to me. I want you. I want you. So you're here this morning. I'm going to have all heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment or two. You say, Pastor, I, I don't know that Jesus. I've never really had a time in my life where I recognized my sin and trusted Jesus. You, what you said hit me, and I, I would like to trust Jesus this morning once and for all. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? I need to trust Jesus once and for all this morning. I've struggled. If you're online, just raise your hand. Right in your living room by yourself. And if that's you, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner by birth and a sinner by choice. And I know I can't fix me. I can't change myself, but I want to be changed. I'm sick of this sin. And I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave. And that you are the son of the living God and God, the living son. And and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. And Father God, creator of the universe, I offer to you the sacrifice of Jesus for my sin. Would you make me your child? Would you forgive me? And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. And if you have prayed that sincerely from your heart, full of faith and belief and and repentance, listen, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. You have been redeemed and forgiven and you have become a child of God in that moment. If you've had that moment, but you've been living in constant fear and you've been living with your spiritual eyes closed, would you pray with me, Lord, open my spiritual eyes that I could see you, that I might understand that your spirit is always within me. Help me to see. Help me to change my perspective. Help me to shift my perception. Help me to see you, Lord doesn't mean the pain goes away. It doesn't mean the circumstances evaporate. But it means someone walks with you and you will see him and learn to trust him. Even when everything is going wrong. If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray that God would open the eyes of all of our hearts. Especially those of you that are struggling with this. Lord, I, I come before you this morning. And I pray that you would help us to expect you in our fear. Father, that we'd be like Mary and say, so be it. Whatever you want for me, Lord, I accept Lord, that they would be like the, the disciples on the, on the boat. Maybe we've had our eyes locked on the waves, but Lord, remind us to turn our eyes to Jesus and recognize He's in the boat with us. We're in the same boat. Like the man that was struggling with those suicidal thoughts and revisited his memory and saw in that moment your holy angels protecting him and then you walk into the room and the shadows flee help us to remember that all of our lives throughout every single age as we've trusted in you you have been with us I ask these things in Jesus name Amen
Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.